It's Sunday, May 3rd, 2015, and you're listening to Episode 7 of Roll Up and Die. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Sports, 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 sports. Okay, we're good. I think we're good. Sports. Chat do they have an complete. official? Do they? Do they have an official list of uh, of test sounds that you need to make? To, I would imagine somewhere they must have you know like a a, a test script that uh, hits all the right sibilants. Yeah. Sound, the, sound sound yeah. thingies. Mm. I believe that's the technical term. It is sound thingies. When you're me, that's the technical term. Yeah. When I am like. There have been a couple times where I've been trying to help someone with a guitar solo. And I don't play lead guitar. I play rhythm guitar, which is code for I'm the less good guitarist in my band. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, But uh, I don't know. So I don't know how to do these solos and stuff. So I'm always like, can you do this thing where you go like... You know, I love that one. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's kind of how lead guitarists talk too, in my experience. So <laughs> I'm doing the burn up, thing. That's the I'll best. just be like, it'll be super sweet. <laughs> my audacity right now is like, oh my god, just talk normal. What the hell are you doing? What are you like, doing? Where do you want me? <laughs> so, what have you guys been up to? Uh, not much. I, I went to my favorite sandwich place for dinner tonight. I've been really good with my diet lately, and so I decided that I wanted a Philly cheesesteak, um, like nothing else, and so that's what I got on my way home tonight, so. Nice. Yeah, there's this sandwich place by my apartment called Oliver's, and they're just oh, like. Oh, yeah, Meridian Avenue in Milton. Yeah. Yeah, I just Googled it. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Oliver's in Milton. I mean, they make real deal sandwiches. Like, they don't skimp on anything. And, like, every sandwich is spicy. I don't know what, what, like, even sandwiches that aren't normally spicy. Like, you get, like, a turkey sandwich, and you're like, why is this spicy? What is on here that is spicy? It's, like, every single sandwich, but I love it. I think the reviews are hilarious. Oh, yeah? Uh, The first one I'm seeing is, my favorite is the lobster and the Philly steak. Yeah. So that's two different sandwiches, right? Yes. That's not lobster and Philly steak. No, those are two different sandwiches, yeah. Oh, good. A Philly lobster, maybe? Yeah, they have, like... A lobster roll, and then they have the Philly cheesesteak. And the next one is by far better than Quiznos. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot for the stars. Better than Quiznos. Uh, You know, I used to work at Quiznos, which leads me into uh, a question that I was going to ask you guys tonight as part of the pre-show banter, which was, what was your guys' first job? Oh, my gosh. Alex? Oh, let's see. Jump Uh, in there, man. I did a bunch of odd stuff with my dad, you know, like, uh, let me think. First first actual job was uh, working at... Actually, I was a stripper. Wait, and, that's, and that's where the name Captain Gothnog yeah. comes from. That, <laughs> that's right. It's my stripper name. Captain no, Gothnog's I, on tonight, you guys. Break out the singles. You know, I hadn't thought of it, but now that you mention it. No, I, I worked in a print shop. And uh, in the old days, when they used to prepare things to be printed, you, they would have to shoot them on a negative. Mm-hmm. And then the negative would be burned to a, a metal plate that would be put on the press, and, and they would print out things. And the, the, the procedure of putting the negatives onto a, uh, a sheet of uh, opaque paper so that it blocks out all of the light uh the process is called stripping oh, it, oh. 
So uh, oh, yeah, I he, see what you he, did. So yeah, so you, <laughs> uh, the the actual title was was uh, what was he? Offset Prepress Stripper. You lied to us. No, I absolutely did not. You go back and read we that. Barker that we made our very own assumptions in that situation. I'm a little disappointed. Those are the best. Those are the best lies. In fact, you know, <laughs> you, you lie as little as possible and let just let, let everyone's imaginations fill in the gaps. That's yeah. actually a really cool first job, though, Alex. Like yeah, I feel, I feel like that's a step above, like you know, I, I worked the fryer at McDonald's, you know, type first yep. job. So. Well, you know, it's it's funny. The um, I got the job right out of uh, art school, uh, and my art teacher kind of helped me get it and so i had applied for uh paste up which is basically uh the pro the, the step before that where you kind of where you paste down um the type and images and so forth that are all going to be you know shot with the camera to be you know then stripped later right i i had done a lot of paste up type work in 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 school as, as part of my uh education but you know they said okay you have the job come on in and then they brought me to this other department that had nothing to do with it and they set me down in front of a table and this is what you're doing it's like what wait what <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing when they sat me down at the table to uh to do this so oh, it was a <laughs> i feel like that's every job ever though where you're like you sit yeah. down and you're like yeah. i have no idea what i'm doing I just have to pretend I know what I'm doing until I actually know exactly. what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. th- that's the cool thing about it. In most places, every every office, every uh, work environment usually has different procedures that they use to uh, uh, to do things. So you can always bluff your way through by asking about specific procedures and then try to glean <laughs> the stuff you're supposed to know from that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Use context yes. well, clues. How, how, do you, how do you guys do this here? Because we did it a little bit differently. Can you show me? I mean, I know how I would do this, but how would you do this? But I have an open mind on how procedures work. So if you could just you know, show me in specific detail. And maybe write it down for me as well. Yeah. And kids, that's how you bluff your way into a job you exactly. know nothing about. Exactly. Uh, Barker, what was your first job, though, man? It was an ice cream shop. Really, it was one of those kind of uh, themed, like you know, one of the old ice cream shops. It was called Remember When. Oh, um, so you could go in there for your milkshakes and right, you know, for and we had a bunch of kids, and it was it was right next to a Hallmark store, like you know, with the cards right. and the mm. freaking little weird smelly figurines. Christmas the entire ornaments. store just tastes like Hallmark. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like walking into a Hobby Lobby. You just get blasted in the face by the smell. <laughs> and, anyway, it's like a incense musk. But I remember. <laughs> I remember specifically, you know, because this this ice cream shop was kind of going down the toilet, but I got my first job there. And uh, I remember that the people who owned the Hallmark also owned the the ice cream shop and they were connected. And I remember right when I finished my interview, when I was immediately hired and they said, welcome aboard. And I just thought that was so cool. And the lady said to me, oh, if it seems like this ice cream shop isn't making very much money, just remember that it might not have a lot of money. But we do. And she (laughs) (laughs) was like, wow, someday I want to be able to say that. Oh, by the way, that that shop is closed. And so is the Hallmark. Oh, okay. Convenient. (laughs) A little life lesson there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What was yours, Matt? Well, my first job was I I worked at a Quiznos. And 
I, my my reasoning was, well, I like sandwiches, and I've never had a job before, so maybe <laughs> Quiznos the is the way to go. That's the worst reasoning. <laughs> I know. Because that's like, when you see behind the curtain yes. of what you love, you're like, I hate yep. everything. Barker, that is exactly it. Well, and the thing is, is like, to Quiznos' credit, I never saw anything there where I was like, oh man, I'm never eating at Quiznos again. Like, everything yeah. was very, like, yeah. clean and tidy, and they kept everything refrigerated and all of that. But it was the people that I worked oh, with. I God. just remember one day... Day, I was I was sitting there behind the counter working, listening to my coworkers talk, and I just thought I need to not be at this job anymore because these people were mm-hmm. like just the worst people on the face of the planet. I, I have yet to meet a worse group of people than the group of people that worked at Quiznos when I worked there. You got to tell a story about it. Just oh man, I don't even <laughs> I don't even know I don't where know. to start. I I'll just give some I'll throw some general terms out there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, drugs. Um, okay. Here's a, here's a phrase for you: hand jobs in the parking lot. Wait, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Matt, Matt, yeah. you don't have to sell this to me anymore. I already want the job. Like, really? <laughs> what is no, this? no, no. That wasn't one the of the benefits. That wasn't one of the benefits. <laughs> oh, those aren't the perks. Huh? <laughs> well, you don't get a discount on sandwiches, and you don't get free fountain soda, but okay. there are hand jobs in the parking lot. <laughs> Do you want to work here? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> let me let me introduce you to the guy who does it, Carlos. <laughs> He's also the one who, uh, who uh, cuts the turkey. So, uh... Jesus Christ! No, it was so... just it was one of those like very toxic environments where everyone everyone on the staff like was either sleeping with one another or hated each other because they had slept with one another in the past oh, and i was like the one guy there that was just like i just want to sweep the floor and go home you guys i, like I can't be involved in this sandwich drama I, I gotta tell you about the worst place i ever worked it was a place in boston and it was it was another print shop i was still kind of working my way up to to, to working in advertising mm-hmm. and so this place was right on the, the shore so that you know the place always smelled like rotten fish and uh, <laughs> but the, most of the people I worked with were, were ex-cons, and the the boss was this big burly kind of guy. And half the time he would come in drunk, and the the uh, my direct supervisor would usually kind of encourage him to go home oh, when, he wow. came, when when he came in drunk because he 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 was an angry drunk. So if something didn't go right, he'd be like throwing stuff and, and, oh, and no. smashing things and um fortunately i got most of the i got most of the the really uh you know the rough cons who had gone to jail for like you know manslaughter type of thing i got them to like me you know because I, I you know i could uh i could just talk to them and, and and so forth so one day uh i went down to the alley where i had to park and i was boxed in by these two cars right so you know i i looked around there's no one you know to talk to find out who belongs to so i come upstairs and i see these guys hey do you guys know any of those, you know, who belongs to those cars? I need to get my get my car out. And uh, he looks out the window and he's like, no, no, I don't know them. Hey, you want me, want me to drop a, a tire rim through their windshield? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, no. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm just going to ask around, man. <laughs> Thanks, though. You want us to slash their tires? <laughs> What a, much. what a great first question like oh <laughs> that's that's what you immediately jump to is dropping things to the windshield okay yeah uh, well his his logic was that person shouldn't be parking in the alley he's never seen him before so he doesn't belong here so right right I, i'm oh. going i'm going to i'm going to punish him somehow he's the hero we deserve right now. <laughs> but not the one we need right now a boston bet oh man that's awesome uh question for you matt yeah because 
you worked at Quiznos, yes, which you enjoyed sandwiches, yes. So, and, and my question is uh, based off of a movie. Uh, it's my favorite movie of all time, and there's a character in it who eats at Papa John's in the movie, mm-hmm. and he used to work at a Papa John's, and he hates being in there because it just brings back horrible memories for him, right? And so he has he can't eat there; he has to leave. Right. Did you ever feel that way? Yeah, I like, mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't eat at Quiznos for like a couple of years afterwards because not because the food was bad, but just because when I went in there, I felt like I was at work and I felt like I should be like cleaning the tables and like greeting people as they walked in, and so it was just kind of this really weird thing. And when I finally ate at Quiznos, like three or four years later. I was like, eh, this just isn't that good anymore. Like they, yeah. they didn't toast the bread enough and they I just it had lost its its charm, you know? It had lost some of its luster. Quiznos had lost its luster. I feel like there's an ex girlfriend in my life that I feel the exact same way about. <laughs> <laughs> the worst though is I, I worked at a game shop for a couple of years. Oh me too, man. And which I, one? Uh I worked at Game On, which is uh my friendly local game shop here in uh in Puyallup, Washington. You know, I I still frequent it quite a bit and the people that worked there when I worked there are still there. And so like mm. I still get my employee discount when I go there and like Sweet. um but the thing is is like whenever I'm there I always feel a little weird like yep. oh I need to be I need to be dusting the shelves and I need to be you know this guy just walked in and no one said anything to him I need to ask if I can help him find anything <laughs> and you know I I just can't get out of that mode Okay so I worked at a game store too in mm-hmm. Albuquerque New Mexico called Active Imagination Okay and I won't say too much about it but it was like a paradise when I was in middle school like yeah. and when I was in high school I finally got a job there my senior year and it, it was just the usual story man everything changed like the minute you see behind the the insulation the minute you get into the back room the wonder of this place (laughs) is just gone and it's like oh man i hate this yeah now it's completely different people that own it so i I walk in there and it's it's become really bad i i don't enjoy it anymore but no that's too bad it is it is because you know when you choose to buy your gaming books at hastings instead of the game store yeah not because the people or the gamer funk in there but because they actually have gaming books at hastings that's a bad sign yeah yeah it's true and i you know i i do try to support my local game shops whenever i can and I do so because they put an effort towards competing with online retailers. And oh, so nice. I, you know, because uh, one, of, one of my game shops that I go to quite a bit uh, here in Milton, it's actually in Federal Way, it's called Fantasium. They have a thing where you get a card with them. And if you spend a certain amount on a certain type of product, you get like the next thing you buy free. So, like, Ooh. if you spend, like, 100 bucks on game books, your next game book is free. And so that's just enough incentive for me to pay a little bit more and actually go mm. to the store and support the local game shop. And so I, I, have, I have very little sympathy for game shops that go out of business because they're just stuck in their ways and they're not willing to adapt and, yeah. uh, you know, try different things to get people in the door. A lot of game shops are just a bunch of grumpy guys who are like, well, people don't support the local game shop anymore. And it's cool. It's because it smells bad in here and you don't give me any incentive for me to come in here. So, and you know, you're kind of an asshole. And like, you're kind of an asshole. Like, <laughs> you know, such yeah. An asshole. 
Uh, anyway, I, I have a lot. I, I could talk about that for a while, but I'm not going to. So, well, do you have a friendly local gaming store uh, in a yurt or somewhere, or like in the wilderness of Maine? <laughs> there, Alex? No, not at all. The closest thing we have is a. Uh, it's it's kind of a kind of a collectible shop. They 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 have some comics. They have some like uh, coins and stuff like that. And if you ask them, they'll order you know, uh, you know, gaming stuff for you, but it's at the maximum possible price. Right. Yeah. So there's really no incentive for me to go there at all. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, why would I go to a gaming store and ask you to order something for me when I can just order that something for me? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, oh, we could order it for you. It's like, nah, I think I'll order it for me. <laughs> they, that, that line has not died since the 90s. Oh, but we can special order it for you. And it's like, yeah. I know you can. You know why I know you can? Because I can special order. <laughs> <laughs> for me exactly. everybody can special order it it's really that's a thing now it's exactly. no longer special well on that not so special note happy sunday gamers welcome to roll up and die your very special rpg podcast my name is barker my name is matt from a fistful of dice and my name is alex aka captain gothnog and uh we have a pretty magical show for you today uh who came up with this idea i can't remember who it was uh, Matt did. Yeah, I did. No, I I wanted to discuss one of my very favorite things about role playing games, and that is magic items, uh, artifacts, and relics, and and magical equipment. I've always been like when I was a kid. Like what first drew me to Dungeons and Dragons was flipping through that rule book and seeing the illustrations for like the plus one long sword or the the flaming sword or you know uh the the bag of holding or you know just seeing the, the the depictions of these things and reading about all the different things that they could do and thinking about oh man you know if i if i get my character you know high enough level like i could i could have some of these things and of course it was third edition and so i was like i could buy some of these things because everything had a price and <laughs> yeah. third edition but i've always just been really fascinated with with magical items, both both wondrous and and minor, and I thought it would be a good topic of discussion for us to bring to the table because um, you know there's a lot of versatility and and uh, and and variety in magical items, and I also feel like they're a great tool for expanding the lore of your world um, because magical items are very rarely just magical items and that's i think what we want to focus on tonight is getting away from the plus one long sword mentality and actually giving the magical items some character yeah definitely uh, I, the one thing that you know we did as 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 kids with uh you know when we first started playing is you know you'd, you'd get all this treasure and of course at the time we were just using adventure modules and so you'd end up with like five or six plus one swords at, at some point and you'd be right. selling them in town, hawking them for, you know, for something better. And, and, you know, we had fun with it, but you know, that, that's not, that's not really how I like to do things now. You know, it, it doesn't really do anything for the lore. Yeah, what it, is it you uh, do? You, you fast travel to the nearest city and then you hit the wait button in oblivion in Skyrim yeah. until the store <laughs> until opens the store and then you go opens. in yeah, and exactly. you sell all your stuff until the shopkeep runs out of gold. <laughs> and then you fast travel to the next city and you hit up that store owner until it's night again. And then you press the wait button and you wait till it opens. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm really glad that fifth edition did away with the sort of magical economy where they, Me uh, too. uh, they, they took yep. away the, they took away the price, all the prices and just, uh, uh, hopefully putting the magic back into magic items rather than making them just commodities for, for buying and selling. 
yeah exactly my my group is still not quite used to that like i we're just now delving into fifth edition with my main game group and we had a game on saturday and we're like well we've got about 2,000 gold that we can spend. And, uh, you know, we were able to buy some health potions and stuff. And then we were like, one of the, you know, one of the guys in the group was like, well, can we, can we buy like a, like a plus one weapon or a plus one armor? And it's like, no, you no. can't, you can't really do that in fifth edition. And it was like, what do we spend our gold on? I was like, guys, guys, we can go buy camels. Like, <laughs> That there's prices for camels in the book, you know, like, or we we could buy a bunch of dogs or, you know, we can go hire a thief to come with us. You know, think about the possibilities of the gold when you're not tied to the magical economy, you know? Yeah, we, we could role play with the gold. <laughs> I was like, I, I one oh my of my God. one of my buddies was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I was like, dude there's a price for an elephant in the book. And he was like, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and what a, what about owning an elephant is not magical? Exactly. Very really? magical. That's right. Very magical. Now, so so what what do you guys do in your game then to to make magical items less mundane? Like what 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 mm-hmm. flavor do you do you like to do you like to give every magical item a name and a, and a history or how do you go about doing that? I, I was going to say exactly that. You know, remove the plus 1 longsword from the meta. Mm-hmm. You know, don't say oh you gain the plus 1 longsword. Instead say you gain the razor of Ilmater, you mm-hmm. know? And it gives you a plus one bonus, you know, right. something like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, I went from having this really static lame, boring weapon that does give me a cool bonus to a really awesome, historically relevant, badass weapon that gives me a plus one bonus. So, you know, just changing the name into something that's more magnificent will, uh, I think, immerse your players a little bit more and and, uh, make it a little bit more believable. Yeah, giving it a name, you can how it's found too can have a lot to do with it as well. Like, uh, did you did you find the sword just you know in a, in a in a stack of other treasure, or was it was it grasped in the hand of of a uh, uh, of a of a warrior who who had fallen in battle and and was you know overgrown with with vines and and all this undergrowth and so forth, and maybe there's a the skeleton of an orc with its hands around his neck or something, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I love stuff like that. And I, I, I love to, like, even even if it is just a plus one longsword, I appreciate it when the dungeon master takes the time to actually describe it being magical before they tell me, and it's a plus one longsword. They, they, you know, they say, you know, amid, amid the rusted armor and weapons, you know, you find a blade that looks as sharp and as and as shiny as the day it was forged, and it's inlaid with gems, and and uh, you know, the blade is etched with runes. And as you pick it up, you you have a strange, you you know, you sense a strange kind of vibration run through your arm, and you you know this sword is special. And then they go. And it's a it's a plus one longsword, so it's plus one to attack and damage. And you go, oh, okay, cool, cool. But yep. you but you know you get that sense of magic and wonder from it that this is not just a a sword that does more damage. It's it's something magical that has been dropped here. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you tell someone they they just get a plus one dagger, they're going to be like, well, Ooh. that's nice. Yeah. But but if you tell them that this is Sting that w- that that played a major role in in the War of the Ring and and uh, yeah. was was forged by elves and it uh, and it glows blue. And when, when goblins are near, and and it was t- it was it uh, accompanied one of the ring bears to Mount Doom, and you know th- those are the story. You know that that whole backstory of it is what makes it magical. Yes, not not the plus one. It's the story that's magic, not the you know not not all the things it can do. Exactly. And, like the, and the, yeah, 
I was just going to say that, the, you know, the mechanical benefits of a magical item for me come secondary to the to the story behind it. And so I really try to push that if I can as a dungeon master. And you totally nailed something, maybe without even realizing it, Matt, but the, the description of it, you know, just saying, oh, it looks like a longsword, you know, oh, open up your uh, your player's handbook. It looks like that longsword. No, I mean, is is part of it serrated, you know? Yeah. Is, and maybe the very tip of it has been sliced off as if during combat. Maybe the entire sword is made of this magical wood, not magical wood, excuse me, maybe petrified wood that's just been sharpened at the edges. So it's uh, I mean, just, you know, just make it make it cool, make it unique, make it yeah. something that if your player has ever played in a game and their character had a sword like this one, you're doing it wrong. Like, come up with something new. Yeah, I agree. Now, and you mentioned it accompanied the ring bearer to Mount Doom there, Alex, uh, mm-hmm. in, in your kind of Lord of the Rings reference, but you mentioned the ring. So what about non-weapons? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for great magic items that don't have, they're not only not weapons, but really have no appreciable, well, no obvious use, say, in dungeon delving or combat. Mm-hmm. And and those, those are the magic items that I really love to put in, in my uh, in my games. Yeah. Are, are things like, like, a, like I was mentioning to you guys in the chat, uh, in the... Uh, the chat before which was like a hairbrush that when you brush your hair it, it you know you can use it to change your hair's color for example mm-hmm. you know now that, that that is that is not something people are going to use in a dungeon it's not something they're going to win in combat with but a clever player could use it as part of a disguise kit or something along those lines so I mean, just fun it, role it, play man that's awesome yeah exactly and 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 i love role play magic items and you can also take you know say a plus one sword magic item and impart it with abilities that are also role play abilities. So, for example, uh, you know, a, a simple sword that also gives off light. You know, it's only plus one, but it lights up. So now you don't need a torch or a lantern or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the the example of sting where it glows a particular color when there's a particular kind of creature around. You could have it so that it, uh, you know, maybe maybe it can tell tell a certain direction you know the the sword knows which way is north so Mm -hmm. yeah you can can, those kind of things it can start like it can float or something and point in the direction you want to go or yeah kind of like the the compass from pirates of the caribbean yeah yeah exactly so i think when you when you come up with magic items the first thing to do is not think of the mechanics think of what is this item who owned it why did why was it made what was the purpose behind its its creation? Because you can you could you can put all kinds of random powers together, but if they don't make sense in in the context of the item, then it's not going to make sense to the player who gets it. Yeah, you know. So you just don't want to give it random powers. These powers want to make sense based on its history, and that's yeah. why writing up the history is kind of important too. You know, why who had this weapon made? Um, how was it made? Was it made on purpose or by accident? Because I, I, I love accidental magical items too. Someone who had a sword that that uh, you know slew a, a demon in battle and died himself and imparted you know some sort of uh, magic into this just by his sacrifice or something like that. You know, how did it come into being? What magics were used to create it or uh, imbue it with its powers? You know, that's stuff that can be revealed to your players throughout the game. You know, I think it's probably a bad mm-hmm. idea to be like, ooh, you picked up Sting. Here's a four-page term paper I've written about <laughs> Sting. It's like, how do I know all this? Like, really? But, yeah. like, you know, if, if the if the character stumbles on a book later in the game and in there sees a picture of his own sword, it's like, uh, yeah, I totally read about that. You oh, know? yeah. Or if, uh, yeah, 
It's just, and that's a good way to convey this information uh, throughout your campaign, not just in one fell swoop. Yeah, that's like I had a I had a campaign where a player found a, a flaming uh, scimitar, so, and it was I mean it was a fairly mundane, uh, not mundane, but fairly basic <laughs> magic item. It, it was mundane just a, for D and D. Yeah, mundane for D and D. It was a scimitar <laughs> with fire damage on it. But cool. uh, eventually, like maybe ten or twenty sessions later, she came across. Uh, this salamander blacksmith who recognized the sword and was the smith of the sword. I had seen it for like a thousand years. And he was like, I've actually got the other sword, the one that's supposed to go with that in here. And he pulls out this sword with ice damage. And when the swords are used together, they're infinitely more powerful. And it was this kind of the cool thing where, you know, the player didn't know the history or where this sword had come from until that moment when, when they actually encountered the creator of the weapon, like, you know, 10, mm. 20 sessions later. Awesome. Yeah, and not to dwell too much on Lord of the Rings, but that's another good way that they revealed it in in there which was when uh uh you know gandalf had glamdring which he found mm. and the orcs recognized it as this yeah. infamous weapon uh, that that slew goblins and, and so forth so they, they were, yeah exactly they were terrified of it mm-hmm. and what, what, what was the other one? uh it was beater and biter basically yeah beater and biter called, yeah. called the two of them and so that's another great reveal too when you see these these monsters kind of you know, shrink from this from the sword you just found because they know that th- this this thing's a history of of slaying their kind. Yeah, they're gonna they're, they're gonna be uh, that's gonna make the, the the players feel awesome. You know, it's like wow, this is this is this is really something. Yeah, and uh, it really advances the story. Yeah, and show don't tell. You know, show yeah. like uh, don't say oh it, it, it's plus three against goblins. But you know, when you pull your sword out in front of goblins watch you see them just back up you know almost 10 feet in two seconds like oh my gosh we can't what it's the sword you know and and just give the show them how rad they look yeah absolutely (laughs) i didn't even mean to do that for the drinking game i actually said (laughs) rad like that i did that was a natural rad yeah that was a that was an organic rad right there i think it's super rad that i would say something like that organically So, going off of the the Lord of the Rings topic, though, what do you guys think about sentient magical items? Like, the One Ring is probably the most famous example, you know, a ring that actually contains the essence of this this evil presence in it, you know, will often influence the behavior of the bearer or Mm. even speak to them. So, I'm a big fan of sentient magical items and sure. might even use them a little bit as a crutch and overuse them. What do you guys think about sentient magic items? I think there's, I think there's really, t- I, I like them too, but I think there's really two ways to do them. One is the way they did with the one ring, which mm-hmm. was you never actually hear hear the ring speaking to you like Sauron, hey, maybe you should go left, you know? Um, <laughs> hey, hey, hey pick, pick me up, pick me up. You have received a collect call from Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... But it, you know, it's a lot more subtle. The uh, it kind of whispers to you, calls to people. It, it it influences in these in these very subtle ways. It makes you forget. It makes you drop it without noticing that sort of thing. So it's it's very it's a very subtle. And when you drop it and it hits the ground, it makes a. Oh, that I know. I love I oh, love that love sound. That. It is boom. And when the, yeah. the chain around it sounds like clinking links when he picks it up in the snow. Yeah. You, yeah. you see that scene? Oh my god! The sound effects were used really well for that. But then and and then and that that's one way to do intelligent magic items the other way is the more obvious where you know your sword is basically iron man's jarvis you know it's like yeah Sir, i don't think we should attack this 
<laughs> what kind do you use, Matt? Uh, I, I, I use the former most, most often. I, I'm, I, the latter is, uh, it's a little bit too obvious and out there for me, honestly. I'm not a huge fan of that. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to pull that off. Although I did it as kind of a, I don't want to say it was, it was kind of comic relief, but it was definitely kind of in that category. The, the person had a staff and, um, it ha- it had the personality of a really I I I kind of played it a little bit off of uh, Android uh, sorry uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, so it was yeah. always very down <laughs> and depressed and it's like <sighs> it would sigh when when, when the wizard <laughs> wanted to do something it's like all right let's we're, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go do this like all right <laughs> you know oh, yeah. and and, and it, it it did make for fun sessions but yeah I mean it you have to have the right uh, player and the right setting for that. Absolutely, and I just I just remembered I had a I had a player in a campaign who um, he was playing a wizard barbarian, and the basic idea was that he was not capable of doing spells or doing wizardy things, but he had found a sentient spell book that basically just talked to him and told him how to do magic. And so the spell book he carried with him all the time, and he was constantly talking to it, but we couldn't hear what it was saying. And so it was it was totally just on the player to do it. Like he he would be having arguments and conversations with his book and we'd just be like, uh, you all right, dude? He'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just talking on my book. And so it didn't fall on the dungeon master to keep track of it and, and portray the sentient magical item. But the player did an excellent job of of role playing that out. So nice. That That is one of the hard parts of sentient magical items is that the GM has to play the role. Exactly. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to have what is essentially an NPC item, you yeah. need to be able, you need to be willing to, to step in and do that and to do it in such a way where it's not going to, you know, influence the, the player's choices too much. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I always say you don't want to do uh, anything as a DM that's going to make unnecessary hard work later on down the line that you're not going to enjoy. And I right. feel like a, a sentient magical item of that nature has the potential to really become a bit of an irritation during during the game. So. I'm a fan of that type of item. I'm a fan of sentient ma- magical items. Um, I've never used that many, though. Um, yeah. And I want to use more. I remember... That I used one in particular. We may have talked about it in this podcast. I can't remember, but uh, I was heavily influenced by Doctor Who, and so I found I, I we were having I was running this game, and it was super sandboxy, and it actually was very gritty. So you know, some of the players I could see that they were like, "Oh my god, like this is dark," you know, something like that. <laughs> so <clears throat> they find. Have you ever had your players feel like that, Alex? Sometimes. <laughs> but i had them find this orb and what this orb could do is that if the if the characters willed it the orb would take them to a place where somebody needed help where somebody Mm, innocent needed assistance and you know i the history the backstory of this was that a long time ago there were heroes that would help the innocent and they used these orbs these stones to travel from place to place, helping the innocent. And, you know, some evil uh, individuals picked them up and started doing the exact same thing. But when they got there, they wouldn't help the innocent. They would hurt the innocent. And then it started this war and it became gritty all over again because I can't freaking <laughs> help it. But uh, the idea that the object knew where it wanted to go, 
the players didn't, the characters didn't, the, but the object knew something. It knew where it wanted to be. It knew how it wanted to feel. It, it knew something that the characters were oblivious of. And it and it did so in a way that didn't require you to portray the item because it's, you know, it was one of those magical items that sort of transcended language and thought and and just existed, you know, on this on this different sort of uh, plane. And so yeah. you were able to use that, you know, have it have a conscience uh, conscious sort of uh, direction without it actually speaking and 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 voicing those things. So. Absolutely. And also off topic, but that was one time where railroading the players uh, was actually really fun for them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. sandboxy gets really tiring sometimes for it players. Does. You know, <laughs> and not all the time, but sometimes it's like, dude, just freaking give us a quest. Like, yeah, give let us, us Yeah, let, let us do something specific. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Now <laughs> have you ever have you ever given an item to your players? <laughs> This is kind of a dick move for a DM to do, but it's kind of necessary for a D&D game. Have you ever given an item to your players that you knew was not nice? Was maybe might have some downsides? We've talked a lot of, about plus one stuff. How about that minus one stuff? Yeah, oh. I, I'm very guilty of that. Cough, cough, dragon scale. Cough, cough. <laughs> cough, cough. The provokers. Cough, cough. Yeah, so- sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of items with downsides and, and not items that don't just have downsides, but that have, you know, I'm a big fan of magical items that give you a benefit, but at a cost, you know, like yeah. Yeah. the the dragon scale that I gave you guys in the provokers had a lot of magical benefits. Uh, it increased your armor class. It allowed you to uh, activate it to shed light. Um, it would indicate if there were dragons nearby, if, if that would have ever happened. Um, but it also enhanced all of a character's flaws. It made them irritable. It gave them nightmares. Um, it was a it was a fairly horrible item that did have some pluses to it. But I remember like um, one of my favorite items that I ever received in the Dungeons and Dragons games was it was the boots of blinding speed. And (laughs) you could put these boots on and you could run like a hundred feet around. No way. But you couldn't see. Oh God! <laughs> like you would be completely blind. Yeah, I, I, they I were literally the boots of blinding speed, and I love <laughs> items like that. Oh, that's so beautiful. So nice. the the dungeon master basically, you know, this was third edition, and so I use I, I used my uh, what was it knowledge knowledge arcana or or spell casting or something like that. I, I, I rolled mm-hmm. that and I rolled really high, and so after some time, I was able to identify what they did and what they were what they were called and stuff. And um, I it was like, yeah, they're you know they're the boots of blinding speed, and they bestow you know great great foot speed to anyone who puts them on. I was like, cool, I'm putting them on. It was like, boom, you can't see. You're totally blind. <laughs> oh, so it w- just just wearing them at all, and you're totally blind. I see. Yeah. I thought it was just when you were running. No, when so you, if you had them, them on, you couldn't see, but you could run super, super fast with them on. So it's basically like it, you could, <laughs> you would run like 50 feet, take them off, put it back on, run, run another 50 feet. Like it was, it was basically like a hyperspace jump. It was like, I got to plot my coordinates here, make sure I don't run right, into right. anything and then go. <laughs> you figured a way to, to abuse the power. Like I can oh, use these. I of course I see. did. Of course I did. Yeah. I just kept them on my, kept them on my bag at all times and slipped those suckers on when I needed them. As long as you don't use them in a dense woodland, you're all right. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I just keep my familiar on my shoulder and look through his eyes. <laughs> oh, <that's so laughs> there you oh, go. That's God. thinking like a third edition player, Alex. That's, I, that's I'm great. shaking my head right now because I know that player. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God. just freaking be blinded, man. Come on, man. It's that's fun. perfect. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I had been a wizard, Alex. I totally would have done that. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, what about you? Cursed items. Come on, Alex. The the, the listeners oh. are ready to drink up. Oh man, cursed items. Well, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of like mad. I, I like ones that have kind of mixed. I've never. Well, it's been it's been a long time since I've given anyone a really hardcore cursed item. You know, like a you know necklace of choking or something like that, where they put it. You know, oh, it's magic, and they put it on, and it just constricts until they until they choke to death. Um, but that'll that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one that one was always a fun one. But yeah, I, I like I like items that that have a cost or seem to have seem to have a benefit, but the cost comes later. Right. Uh, uh, one 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 cool one I did was it was a it was kind of a folding door. You know, it, it would it folded down to you know a small little six inch by six inch block like a cube of wood, and but it opened up into this full standing door. Nice. And when once you open it up and 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 you open the door, uh, there was this big room beyond it. Just a, it was a stone room. It had a fireplace in it. There were shelves. It was a dining table. It was basically just this little hall. There was there was a, there were a couple of closets off to the side. Even like a you know kind of a kind of a privy uh, into it as well. Wow. And the uh, you know the character the characters loved this. They thought you know they, oh you know the players loved this because they thought oh this this is great. We don't you know we can store stuff in there. We can rest in there. This is this is awesome. And it was for 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 quite a while because they thought it was just an extra dimensional space. Right, right. What they didn't realize is it wasn't an extra dimensional space. This was actually a doorway to someplace, and that and that this room was part of a larger complex oh. that that they didn't know about. And so there was there was stuff that was going to be happening there that would eventually affect them through through the door. You know, wow. so oh, it, it was it was a. It was like a portal. It, it was more of a portal than extra yeah, exactly. Space. They yeah, and I, and I never told them that. They just assumed based on what they saw, you know, that it, it was, you know, the only way out of it was through a secret door into the rest of the complex. So they, they just thought it was a great extra dimensional space, kind of like a, you know, a really nice rope trick where they could just, you know, put all their stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a good way of of doing it because they they're used to things like that and so they feel safe you know oh this is our own little space in here we can you know store stuff in here and then you just kind of a few sessions in hit them with the fact that no it's not really that way i I like that kind of stuff oh for sure i love the idea of not telling them what's happening happening to them yeah but just kind of doing it because players are smart, man. And I've yeah. I've learned this more and more, especially in the Provokers game and the Sursaline game and watching all these amazing one-shots on YouTube uh, via the RPG one-shot group on Facebook, uh, that uh, that players are super smart. And they'll figure yeah. you out, man. They will, they will, yeah. They'll learn everything. All of your darkest secrets that, you, <laughs> that you're not telling them, they will figure it out and you'll be like, uh, crap. Or... Yeah. Or they'll say something better. They'll be like, you know what's happening? This is happening. And you'll be oh, like yeah. taking notes like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, that's a really good idea. Yeah, you guys figured that, it out. That, oh, <laughs> damn it. I'm so smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, one of the things about cursed items, though, is that uh, I think it's even more important to have them have a, a rich backstory because mm-hmm. everyone knows why someone would make a plus one sword, right? It's, it's awesome. Yeah. You get to do better stuff with it. But why would someone make 
a, you know, a choking necklace, <laughs> you know, what would be the purpose of it? Maybe an right. assassination, you know, maybe they were trying, maybe it was a gift for a noble that they were trying to, someone was trying to kill and, and it never got to them for some reason. Maybe it's a leash yeah. for a smaller animal, but it, it just shrinks uh, right. too right. far and it chokes you. And right. I, and I have, a, I have a, I have a kind of a good example of, of one actually it was from that, that extra dimensional room. The room had these paintings in it and they were all these really oh. unique paintings. And one of them was of this big red dragon. And so when they first started to investigate this, this room, they had, uh, they had actually found this door as, as they had to sneak past uh, an ancient red dragon. Now, they weren't high enough level to take on an ancient red dragon, but they stumbled upon his, his lair accidentally. And so they decided to just like sneak away without like waking it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, they, managed, they managed to sneak by it without any problems. And, uh, but in, in, in that same kind of uh, complex, they had found this item. And so they started to explore and, and they, they determined these paintings were magical. So the, uh, the wizard decides, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch it to do identify, right? And so he, he, he touches it and phew, he's gone, right? Now, now none, of the, other, oh, none no. of the other players know, you know, characters know what happened. And so to say, oh, well, I hope he wasn't destroyed. So I'm just going to, I'm going to follow him. And one of the other players does that, touch it, and he's gone. And what it did was this painting would teleport anyone who touched it to the dragon, wherever it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the, this dragon was basically, its, its lair was this, this huge bowl-shaped thing that it carved out inside this cavern. And it was, its treasure was down there and it was sleeping on top of it, curled up, you know, smog-like. So when the first one appears, he lands on the stone slope and like on his back and he slides down and poof, comes to rest against the dragon. And the dragon's still asleep. And he's just like sitting there quiet. Oh, crap, oh, crap. So oh, the crap, next oh, guy poof, and they, poof, slides in next to him. It's like, oh, shit. And they're both sitting there whispering, <laughs> trying to decide what to do. So meanwhile, back at, back at the, uh, in the room, they, dis- they use some spell to determine, you know, the... Uh, the, the players condi- the con- metagamed. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, well, no. They wanted to find out what happened to their friends, so they 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 did. They used the spell to determine uh, the condition of their friends. It would tell. It wouldn't tell them specifics, but only you know, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they anxious? Scared? Whatever. And of course, they came back. They're terrified. And it's like, oh crap! All right. Well, we better not go through. But I'm gonna I'm gonna send the griffin through. He summoned the griffin. I'm gonna send the griffin <laughs> through and attack whatever it sees. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, oh, these the two best. guys have begun kind of sneaking up away from this from this dragon, like crawling as quietly as they can, taking their time. And the griffin appears and starts attacking the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my man, gosh. that was one of the best sessions ever. That oh sounds gosh. awesome. I love stuff like that. I was I was right in a way. You know, they used meta knowledge, but they used that meta knowledge to be awesome. Well, I don't, know if, I don't know if you call it meta because they knew their friends had disappeared. Yeah, and and so they they used the spell to see if they could determine, you know, are, are they alive? Are they dead? Are they happy? Are they sad? You know, what's basically to figure out what happened to them. Right, so, right. Cool. It, it wasn't entirely meta, but it was it it yeah, it worked out awesome. That's still awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> God, I don't know, guys. I think this is going to be a two parter. You think so? I think so. Well, okay. Yeah, I, there's you know one more item on our list that I really want to hit before we. Do the uh, the viewer uh, the listener question and the idea they can steal, yeah. and it's the magical shopping. Okay, yeah. this seems like you know this is another roll up and die staple cliche where it's like 
no matter how tiny the town is, no matter how much the people are starving, they have a freaking magic shop. Right. (laughs) So how do you do that without it being super dumb? I don't. Oh, he doesn't, <laughs> Alex. No. No, I, even before D&D did away with the magical economy, I never had magic shops. It just always, it just never sat right with me that there'd be this this magic shop um, mm-hmm. selling, you know, staves and wands. And it's like, oh, I'll take I'll take four of the wands of fire. Can you give me uh, <laughs> half a dozen of those rings of invisibility? Maybe uh, it's, it's like a bakery, <laughs> but with yeah. magic. <laughs> a magical Walmart. No, it just, no, it doesn't sit well with me. So. Yeah, I mean, if there, if there were any magical items sold, they were they were kind of more like black market items or things you yeah. had to kind of know the guy to get or you know some you know have some sort of back alley dealings. It wasn't you know sitting in the window of of a shop saying, oh you know, staff of power, nineteen ninety five, get them while they're hot. <laughs> Three easy payments of <laughs> ba da ba 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 corporatizing magic uh no i yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of magic shops being everywhere and you know if if my players ask you know is there a place i can i can buy potions or or is there a place i could i could uh you know look for some for some magical amulets or magic rings or you know sometimes i'll say you know this this town is really you know too small to have anything like that you know there's a general store that has some basic adventuring gear but like if they're if they're really wanting to find stuff and they're in a in a sizable enough town i might you know have like a pawn shop style thing that just has some weird oddities here and there and they might stumble upon you know some sort of minor magical yeah, item exactly. that they can that they can haggle or barter with the shopkeeper with but for the most part, I'm a much bigger fan of people stumbling upon magical items in the world, you know, either winning them yeah. through through role play or combat or finishing quests or receiving them as gifts or prizes or, or what have you. Uh, yeah. And, and you know what? Take advantage of the fact that uh, the shopkeeps and, you know, the random citizens around town are level zero. Your characters are at least level one. So, yeah. you know, so many DMs. You know, they treat level one characters like they're scum. Oh, man, this NPC could kick your ass any day. You know, I made him. Trust me. You know, and it's like, (laughs) oh, my God, really? Here we go again. But, you know, a lot of these shopkeepers will never know that this item that they have on their shelf is magical. But your player's characters will. Yeah. And so that's like, oh, you're telling me I can get this for a silver? Oh, man, I'm getting this for a silver piece of cake. And and so it's... um, you know, let your, that's how I do magic items and magical shopping is that, mm. you know, there's no magic store because if there's a magic store, then that shopkeep is go, is going to do a lot more with his life than sell this magic stuff. Yeah. He's going to take over the freaking world, man. That's a lot of magic in <laughs> He's it. He's got a store full of magic <laughs> items. You, know, you got 20 wands of fire. You're going to set some shit on fire. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I, I, like cu- that. I, like, I like curiosity shops for things like magic items, like Matt was saying. And, and especially I like to put in them. Uh, magic items that are broken or somehow malfunctioning or, or yeah. just, you know, there's something wrong with them. Again, I had a, 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 a player, he, he didn't actually buy it. He kind of, he pilfered it. So he just kind of pocketed this, this little, uh, he was kind of detecting magic on the, on the sly. And he, and he, and he picked up this one kind of, uh, it was a little orb, maybe about, uh, the size of a golf ball. So you see, he pockets it. Then back at the, uh, back at the tavern, he's sort of like play, you know, kind of ch- checking it out in his room. And he accidentally activates it, and it just starts, starts wailing this loud siren. Wah, wah, wah. So he's like, he, he's, he panics. So he, 
He throws it out the window, and it's like, wah, wah, wah. and you see, yeah, yeah, you hear people, you hear doors opening and slamming you. They're trying to get, you know, you're taking a lot of attention. So he says, oh, all right, I'm going to destroy it. And, he, and, he, and he, he sends some sort of, you know, fire magic down, and he sets the stable on fire. So it, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was, it was, it was a fun time for. Oh my for, gosh! That's well, awesome. it was a fun time for me. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just say that. All right. So I definitely think this should be a part. Uh, this should have a part two because magic items are, and maybe even a part three. Man, I mean, magic items are a staple of fantasy games. They mm-hmm. take your fantasy game, or they take your regular game, and they make it fantasy in a definitely. lot of ways. So yeah, I, I'd love to. Uh, in you know a few, a few few episodes down the line revisit magic items and do like a magic yeah. items part two and because awesome. i think we could talk a lot more about like uh unique magical items and actually yeah. you know including like artifacts in your game and also um really? uh, how, 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 how magic items are made yeah how magic items are made consumable yeah. magic items um yep. stuff like that so but yeah i think uh we're at the point here where we can maybe do a viewer question and an idea they can steal yeah well you know what uh <clears throat> listener question i was thinking uh, there's so many now and you can, you know, every Monday and Tuesday we'll post this Monday or Tuesday. We'll post, uh, what we're talking about today. Cause we're recording this on a Tuesday currently. Uh, and you can ask your questions on our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash roll up and die. And there it's getting to the point where there are so many questions that I'm just going to start going with the one with the most likes. And ah. Ooh, not, good idea. <laughs> so if you like a question, click the like button, click the thumb like up. It. And and the one that I'm seeing right now that has the most likes, they all pretty much have one or two. This one has three, is from Miranda L. And she says, how do you keep magic items mystical? Also, do you generally tell your players the property of the object when they acquire it? Or do they have to find its abilities through trial and error? Have you guys ever given a magical item to somebody but the player does has no idea that it's magical, like a weapon, for instance. Um, I never have. Uh, you know, I like in in the fifth edition book. You know, there's a little a little blurb about identifying magic items, and it says mm. even even somebody who has no knowledge of magical items can tell that something is special by holding it. And so I mm. like the idea that when you pick up a, a, an item that has magic in it, that you feel yeah. a little something about. It. You know, it's it's like it's it, wow, this is way too well balanced to be a mundane item, or you know, you you feel a little kind of shock almost as you pick it up, or or whatever. So I, I like the idea that even if you can't tell right. exactly what a magical item does you can tell that it's got some magic in it. Yeah, or the blade is unblemished, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it kind of uh, it kind of guides your hand if it's a sword or a mace or some yeah. sort of melee weapon. Or the, the arrows kind of curve to hit their target if it's ranged one. Yeah, like exactly, yeah. Sure. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I used the example earlier about, you know, you find a perfectly shiny sharp sword in a pile of otherwise rusted ones and i think that right there just tells the player okay this is a magical item you know it it is completely unblemished like you were saying alex and i think i think well what i like to do when a player is trying to identify an item because usually they're using either well like in fifth edition they they get a chance to kind of meditate with it yeah Um, attunement yeah, uh, or even before the attunement, they can meditate with it to determine some of its properties, or right. if they use the identify spell. I don't want to just sit there and give them a list of what it does. So, And this is why backstory to the item is so important. They get flashes, they get images, they see people using it, they see major events in its... Uh, in its in its life, so to speak. Uh, That's awesome. Maybe, maybe, maybe they see images of how it was forged. They see mm. uh, flashes of uh, you know some great person holding it or something being slain by it. So they they get 
the information, but it but it's acquired through these through these sort of vision uh, visions that they have while meditating with it, and that kind of like makes that. a lot more sense to me because otherwise it just reminds me of like a Terminator readout where it's like you know running down the list of <laughs> things it does when you when you're meditating with it. Uh, to me, it would be more more of a and and this is part of the mystical aspect where you're getting these it has these impressions that it that it that it holds simply because it's magical, and so the character is kind of tapping into those by concentrating on it and, and they're, uh, they're just getting flooded with all these images. Yeah, I'm a fan of flashbacks. I am a huge mm. fan of visions and I've never used one for an item though. I, I'm going to start. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really good idea, Alex. And I, I, I think that's just a really elegant way of showing what the properties are of an item without just laying them out for the player, you know? Now, when it comes to... You know, the last part of her question is, you know, do the players have to find out its abilities through trial and error? And I think with cursed items, that's the best. Yeah. Uh, because when yeah. you say, oh, yeah, you pick up this item and it's it's pretty good in this way, but it's cursed in this other way. Then every there's always going to be at least one player that's like, dude, drop it. It's not worth it. I've, yeah. I've played D&D before. Yeah. Just let's go. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> let them figure it out. You know, give them some subtle clues. Uh, trial and error is the best way for some sort of cursed uh, mystical magical item. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, with an with an item that has some basic magical properties, I'll probably just tell the player right out because they're gonna find out as soon as they hit something with it, mm-hmm. and and so it's better that they they have that you know kind of right off the bat as soon as they identify the item or or recognize that it's magical. But with something like a cursed yep. item or something that has you know magic beyond the obvious, I I do like to have it be kind of a trial and error type thing or you know they do something specific with it or or or, uh, you know have certain conditions that are met that lead them to find out the rest of it and again like matt and alex both said earlier in the podcast you know if it's a cursed item still give it something beneficial you Mm -hmm. want you you'll i love that conflict and you should too that conflict (laughs) that goes through a player's mind where it's like should i drop it or should i keep it yeah but that's just my two cents But I do believe it is that time again for an idea that you, the listener, can steal. And uh, we're going to make a magical item. Um, Can I throw out a proposition here? Yes, Yes. please do. Just the other day, we we did an episode on taverns. Yes. And we created a tavern. And in that tavern was a tavern keep, a barkeep. Mm-hmm. And that barkeep had an amulet around his neck that had something to do with an old uh, wizard's kind of, what was it, a, a tower. Uh, it was a wizard school, I believe. Yeah, an old like school of wizardry, something like that. Or uh, an enclave was the word I believe we used. Yeah. You know, maybe we can, might be able to do this twice, actually, but I'd really like to flesh out that amulet. Okay, yeah, so, I'd be down for doing that. All right, so first off, I'm rolling this die. Rolling it. Uh-huh. Rolling it, rolling it. You don't even know. And it's going to go to Alex. <laughs> I knew it. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to say that the, that this amulet, uh, in addition to any other abilities it has, is the only way that you can actually get into this, this school or academy. It's sort of, it's sort of like a – well, it's, a, it's like a key. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's the only way you can actually get in there is to have an, uh, this, this amulet or an amulet like it. And so it has uh, the ability to let them maybe even see the place. You know, maybe the maybe the place is protected and and you can't see it, 
unless, or even go there unless you have this this particular amulet. All right. Um, that is going to be you, Matt. Uh, I was going to say that I think the amulet is is made from some sort of meteoric material. So it has come uh. from the sky. Um, and so it it has kind of this almost alien-looking coloration, and the way the light hits it, it just has this very ethereal look to it. And I'm going to say that because it is uh, some sort of sky material or space material, that it that it has some inherent magical properties to it. And I'm wondering if maybe it wasn't always an amulet. Maybe this was the top of a wizard's staff at one point um, that over the years has, you know, kind of fallen off the staff and been passed down and down. And, it, and its current incarnation is as an amulet. But uh, it wasn't always an amulet, and maybe it won't always be an amulet. Ooh, very cool. Um, I like the idea that yes, it's a key. It, it you cannot get into this place without it. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna shift it around and say you can get in. But if you get in, if you if you enter this place and you are not if you do not belong there, you know, the amulet knows whether or not you are a member of this wizard's enclave. If you don't belong there, then you will unknowingly, at least at the beginning, age at 40 times the normal rate. Ooh. <laughs> I oh, I like you it. Know, you, know, you know what it should have, too, is is uh, either either etched in the back is kind of it, what looks like a design, maybe mm. an abstract design, is is actually a map on how to get to the place. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like it. Uh, do you guys want to make a weapon, too? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Not? Okay, cool. All right. So I'm going to roll this again. Uh, that is a two. <laughs> One and two is Alex always. So Alex, go <laughs> ahead. Tell me about this weapon. All right. So let's go with something. Un- let's go with something kind of unusual. No. Uh, why not, Alex? No. Let's do it. <laughs> let's go crazy. Uh, I'm gonna say that this magic item is a whip. Oh. It's mm. uh, it's uh, it's fashioned from a uh, a dark uh, red leather, um, and the weaving is is extremely fine. It's almost. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's less than an eighth of an inch for each 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 uh, each each winding, so the whole thing kind of tapers down. It's about twelve feet long, and at the end is is a sharp hook, uh, and it's actually like the the uh, the hook of a uh, uh, like the tail of a scorpion, mm. and uh, it's it's it seems to be actually part of the weaving. So it's like almost like the the bands of this strange leather so you come right off of it and just you know, are, b- are bound together. And uh, it feels warm to the touch. Awesome. Nice. You're one through three, Matt. I'm four through six. Okay. And oh, it off the table. That is a four, so that's me. Um, I'm going to say that this whip was once the property of Morinol, an archaeologist of sorts. Bam, ba, dum, bam, <laughs> bam, ba, dum. He was named after the dog. <laughs> oh, come on. Everybody is an archaeologist in D&D. You don't even it's know true. it. It's but true. You, it's but true. you are. Um, uh, this whip was actually not originally used as a whip. It was used as a collar, uh, kind of the end of a leash for this mammoth beast, uh, this creature that was so evil that the evil of this being, this creature, infused itself into the whip. Cool. Here, I'll roll. Hold on. One through six is Matt. And okay. That's a six. Matt, you're up. Oh, 
Dang it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I will say that the 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 leather of this whip is actually wyvern skin that has been tanned and and made into leather and the hook on the end of this whip contains traces of wyvern poison and so if you're if you're hit with this whip and hooked with the end of it you have a chance of getting poisoned from the uh, inherent magical poison of the wyvern okay cool awesome uh and also it would probably be like a plus one or a plus two whip just mechanically <laughs> yeah because the evil Damn. you know within this you know whip is guiding it in a way exactly awesome dude that was wicked i'm gonna use that in sir Celine. i mean i'm gonna i'm not gonna use it I'll, maybe <laughs> i might use it someday <laughs> maybe <laughs> i was alex i gotta say i was hoping you would go you were gonna go with a flail or a whip so i'm glad you went with with one of those so <laughs> very awesome. cool yeah I, I i'm a i'm a fan of whips i i uh so uh thanks guys for doing another episode of roll up and die and thank you special thank you to alex aka captain gothnog for doing the editing of the the previous two episodes before this one did a fantastic um, job. Oh my! It's been my pleasure. Gosh, amazing! Uh, I mean, it was it, yeah, so good. And uh, for doing the commercials. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, for thank you to our sponsors for uh, you know jumping on in and you know uh, paying us the big bucks. Thank you again, listeners, for listening to Roll Up and Die. If you do not like the episode or the podcast at all, that is perfectly fine. We'll be sure to refund all the money that you've spent to listen to it. Uh, uh, my name is Barker. And my name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice. And my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog. And uh, I'd like to insert a quick uh, plug here. I have a I have a shop on DriveThruRPG under Critical Hit Publishing. Uh, just recently, I published a, a book of magic items yes. that are exactly the kind of things that we uh, we talked about. Matt actually wrote uh, some of them. Nice. Yeah, I'm in and, there a couple uh, times. Yeah, and and uh, the, these are, are each one takes up a full page, and it's almost all uh, history and backstory, with a, with uh, the mechanics at the bottom and a, awesome. a, a, an illustration that goes with it, and it's. Uh, it's definitely worth it if you like unique and uh, interesting magic items. So check awesome. it out if you want. Uh, yeah, um, I think we need, need a new sign-off. You know, Godspeed Blah is pretty good. But, you know, <laughs> there's only so many Godspeed Blahs that you can really listen to before going like, oh, my God, why do they keep saying Godspeed Blah? <laughs> so um, anybody want to give the sign-off? Uh, that's a great sign off, Matt. Damn, that's perfect. We'll do a three part harmony of. <laughs> and the listener count goes down and down. This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming. <laughs>